Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Good. It's been a good week, and finally... That number three is cat out of bag. Um, and it was funny, I can clearly see there are people listening to the show because Sebastian Levert announced that he's joining my team in a few weeks, which we've had on the cards for a while now. And it's just been exciting to kind of get that news out there. And there was a bunch of our podcast listeners who are like, ah, oh, that's who Jeremy was talking about in the podcast. <laughs> At least we know we've got a few people listening. <laughs> it's always good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and thank you to all those who do listen and thank you to all those who reach out after listening it's uh it's gratifying that uh that we're doing doing something yeah we, we we would like to have a few more like kind of like shout outs or just comments or even like we'd like to hear about this from people on the twitters it takes a few seconds to tap out a few emoji icons in twitter these days but um it's been a busy busy week we skipped last week's show um i can't remember why now i think it was me again sorry but uh there from the news uh, the microsoft to do apis went to v1 which is great because you know the experience i have in talking to partners all the time is yeah we don't really want to take a dependency on a beta api um, we'll wait till they v1 and so usage has not been as high there so i'm really looking forward to seeing who kind of bites the bullet on that and starts using those v1 apis for microsoft to do for kind of task management i'm a huge to do user in both my personal life for like shopping lists and paying bills and all sorts of stuff and then obviously at work my, my entire like work life runs on it i have lists for every one-on-one i do and every mentoring circle i'm on and every project I'm on. Paul's there shaking his head. Paul, I, you, I, I can see sticky notes in the re- reflections of your glasses for your monitor. Yes, yes. Well, one of the stickery notes is just a phrase that the boss said one day, jiggery pokery, which I thought was <laughs> funny. So, but the- <laughs> I haven't heard that phrase in a while. That's definitely a Brit thing. Yeah, you know, we had Rohit on to talk about the Microsoft To-Do API in show 219, which is three months ago now. Yeah, we did. And I did notice that my number one request in that episode has not been shipped on the v1 api so i'm a little bit disappointed in that but uh, which is what which is what i wanted the api call to get the sound (laughs) (laughs) i remember that now yes that's amazing how much social media traffic that video gets for the where that sound came from but but uh yeah it's a really cool app i am one little bit disappointed with to do still not supporting the ability to flick between my personal account and my work account well, I have the luxury that I can run the beta to do for my work account and the store version for my personal account, but obviously not everyone's going to be able to do that. Android to do apps had that for a while. So it's a little bit frustrating that iOS is so far behind there. Anyway, that's my little rant. But everyone's to do list is a very personal thing, right? So yeah. that's why I shake my head earlier is because the way I the way I keep track of tasks is much different, but uh, yeah. you try to do what you can. But it, so there certainly are some great ideas that we can do about I, I love that the api has been published because i can certainly see generating tasks or if, if there's a new version of net released this week maybe i can put a task list to say go review it and plan our migration so yeah certainly great to have the api um and then the other big big news which has been a long time coming i think originally it was called contextual consent we talked about this like three or four years ago i think and uh we finally came to resource specific consent for Teams APIs. So the ability to deploy 
a Teams app, then rather ask for group read, write all with admin consent, you can specifically ask for resource specific consent with particular Teams API calls and, and only be able to call APIs in the context of the resource you're in, the team where the app was deployed. So this is a huge kind of knocks that brick wall down, as we kind of call it internally. Um, so I'm excited to see how people use that. And the good news is, is the SharePoint engineering team are working on resource specific consent as well now. So no timelines on that, but you know, that will mean that you'll be able to access files in the same mechanism that you can call the Teams APIs in context of that resource, which is great. Yeah, the, you know, obviously we knew this was coming. And when I looked at the blog post the, earlier this week, what floored me was the number of permission scopes now that exist. It's not just, you know, group specific, but it's team settings and channel settings right. and channel and, and, and it goes on and on and on. So it's, so it's really uh, great to see that the model has been set for getting much more granular permission scopes through Microsoft Graph, which every administrator is going to love, right? <laughs> yeah. And I actually saw Apple uh, in true Apple form are calling this the nutritional information label. And they're going to make all iPhone apps uh, in the Apple store have a, a nutritional informational label, which will do essentially the same thing. They'll have to explain what their app does and what it has access to. The granularity is really, really important because it allows administrators to make decisions. And I'm having this discussion actually internally with our MSIT um, because they don't allow many apps to be consented for us to use as a Microsoft employees. And one of the reasons is because the permissions are too broad and, you know, group rewrite all is really big. Like that app can act as you in any group you have access to across any of the constructs, planner, files, messages, you name it. And so the more we can do this, the better. And so I'm really glad that like the identity team works so closely with teams on that. And we're going to get hopefully Nick Kramer on in the next few weeks to talk in more detail about this too. Yeah, certainly worth following along people. It's a big deal. And then what else did you find out there? I know there's a few more in this list that you've put in in the OneNote. So a while back, we posted a link from Waldeck Mastercars who had a high level building a me experience inside of Teams. You mean Waldemar? Well, a colleague of uh, a colleague of his, Rabia Williams, has posted a sample application. And so uh, she used the Graph Toolkit and uh, SPFX to create this me experience. And so you can certainly uh, read about what she's done and click into the GitHub repo on that and uh, follow along either because you want the me experience or because you want to learn how it's done. So the great job by Rabia for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if you're not following those dev advocates, you know, Rabia and um, Waldeck or Waldemar, as he is in our internal gal, <laughs> and uh, Bob Germain and Dan Walleen. There's a whole heap of them, um, which we've had on the show. I mean, essentially their jobs are to write content and build samples. So, you know, we're going to learn a lot from that group. Um, and so I work really closely with those folks on various different things we're getting them to build out, which is great. So definitely check out Robbie's stuff. The next link I found is related, even though it doesn't look like it at first. It's titled AutoRest and Open API, the backbone of Azure SDK. <laughs> yeah, written by David in a, in the Azure group. I have to scroll to the bottom to get David's name. David Wilson. Uh, he describes how the AutoRest tool uses the Open API document to build the Azure SDKs. And if I remember correctly, Daryl has told us that it's a similar process for the Graph SDKs, yes? 
it's it is that tool yeah so we use auto rest to generate um, our sdks as well powershell is the first one where we're we've snapped to that um, and the python cli is the second one that we've snapped to that too and so that's been a really cool exercise and was a big thing you know daryl being the, like our api architect is that he wanted to align with what the rest of the company does and how we do sdks and so it definitely slowed us down a little but now we're accelerating because we're on the same train um, and it's one of those things you know every developer listening to this there's all of those cases like you can go fast at the beginning and then run out of room or you can jump on a train with everyone else and you know there might be some politics and some stuff you have to re-architect to make it fit but um auto rest has definitely been a great way for us to move forward um, and it, it certainly accelerated our, our powershell and our cli stuff too a long time ago, I had heard someone mention that the second adopter is the one who sets the standard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And when you think about it, right? So the Azure went ahead and did what they needed to do. And now that Graph has jumped on the same bandwagon or the same train, as you said, yeah. if someone else comes along, why would you not do what the the first two have done, right? So it's it's great to see that. Yeah, yeah and it's very, very true in Microsoft as well. Um, it makes it a lot easier when there's, especially if it's two engineering groups from two different divisions or pulling up through two different EVPs. Like for someone to go build like a competitor or to rest internally now would be a career limiting move, <laughs> basically. It probably will happen though. Yeah. Someone always thinks they can do something better. But, but this, so what, what I hadn't realized before was that auto rest is open source. And so folks yes, can do this right, as well. Yeah. Now, obviously the Microsoft graph You've talked before about how getting people to annotate stuff, all the engineering teams, so that it feeds into your docs and everything. And that's still a proprietary process, mm -hmm. I'm guessing. But at least if the open API specification is written, then I could generate a client, right? Is that kind of how it's going? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think the onboarding group are looking at what we do there in terms of open sourcing those tools as well, on like, you know, how we decorate our code so that the open open API generations uh, done too, but we're, we're not quite there yet. We've just got a bunch of new PMs come on board that um, are going to be in this space. So definitely an area to look into if you're designing APIs for sure. So thanks to those guys for doing that. Um, next, I have kind of like a follow-up one. A few weeks back, we interviewed Marcus Muller about his developing his journey of development and so he has a blog post he's back from vacation <laughs> from holiday and has a spfx solution that will convert files to pdf and what he does is he uses the um the onedrive api to upload a file and then download it asking it to be a pdf version so it's spfx calling microsoft graph that will give you some functionality as well so it's great to see uh, him continuing really cool. and, and uh, great code snippets to learn how to do all this kind of stuff. So great. Such an underused API. I actually have a specific query I run in my telemetry to look and it just doesn't grow. And I don't get it because it's just such a good example of like the power of using our services for an API to, to do it. I get that you have to have the file living in OneDrive for business for it to be able to like do it. But it just surprises me that this isn't more popular. Well, if you go to any of the documentation for Graph and or OneDrive or SharePoint, it never says convert to PDF anywhere. No, that's fair. The discoverability is probably low. <laughs> but Marcus connected the dots that said... That is a fair point. Yeah, he, just, he connected the dots and said, oh, if I request it, I can ask it in a certain format and it'll happen behind the scenes. So great stuff. You just made me add a note to my to-dos to go bring that up <laughs> with the docs team. You can hear me tapping away. This is not me making this up. 
All right. Um, and then lastly, there's this other guy, like you may have heard of him. He's like, his name is Paul Schaeflein. It looks like his blog is still running on SharePoint WSS. I don't know. Oh, come on. Kathy will be mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, graph first programming in Microsoft 365. Singing to the choir here, Paul. Yes, indeed. Well, so I, I wrote this because I've heard that phrase repeated it in places and there's still a fundamental difference in how you write your code as a developer that I want to at least get in front of some folks if you have if you have legacy SharePoint code that's great but if, what if your code's trying to talk to more than one service do you really want to have a set of code that uses the SharePoint context and a set of code that uses something different so I wanted to at least spell out a sort of experience that I had real world I have code that needed to do both both services, and so uh, this is the solution I came up with to help make it simpler for other developers to pick up the code and get moving instead of having to figure out what is this legacy 10-year-old paradigm of writing code that is natural to me, but maybe not to everybody. So, Yeah, no, I actually love what you've done there, and um, it's something we push on other kind of ISVs that are in this space. So thank you for doing that. That's great. It's another great example of like how you've given back to the community. So thank you. And then who do we have on this week? Uh, uh, Vardaman Deshpande came on and Vardaman is now working at Valo Intranet, uh, formerly with Chris O'Brien over at Content and Code. But Vardaman hopped on and we talked about, again, how he uses the Microsoft 365 developer platform, you know, to to get his code going and and. Uh, both SharePoint and a lot of stuff in Teams lately and software as a service. And again, nice to get an outside voice who's been around and doing some real world stuff and just to share with our listeners so that you we can, uh, you know, high tide rises all boats. So yeah. thanks, Vardaman, for coming on the show. It was really great. Yeah. And he, he's another great example of someone that like just blogged away for years and um, we nominated him as an MVP just from that work. You know, he had Chris O'Brien like helping him at the beginning and then he kind of really found his own way on what he wanted to do and how he wanted to build his identity as an MVP. So it's exciting to see his career grow and um, at Valo now with, you know, he's taking on the product management role there too as well. So I'm excited to see what they do over at Valo now too. Yeah, enjoy the show. And if there are people that you're interested in hearing from, please reach out to us at jthake at Paul Schaefline. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you're at you're at the age where you don't know your Twitter handle. Well, some some handles are Paul and some are just P, and I can't remember which one's yeah, which. So. Consistency is key. That's what it's about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got consistent code. I don't necessarily have consistent handles though. So <laughs> uh, I'll I'll check with Wes before you claim that. <laughs> Note to self, never bring him on. (laughs) Uh, Enjoy the show. We'll see you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. This week on the podcast, I'm pleased to welcome Vardaman Deshpande. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. Our, certainly our pleasure. And so, obviously, well, congratulations since it's the first time we've talked things since you've been awarded the MVP pro, uh, award. So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, uh, sure. So, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Vartaman Deshpande. Uh, I'm an MVP on in office development uh, based in London right now uh, in the UK. Uh, so I've been an MVP for a couple of years now. And uh, before that, 
for about almost 10 years now. I've been in the cloud space, in the Microsoft cloud space to be specific, been involved in Office 365 since probably 2011 or something when it was just uh, SharePoint 2010 on on the cloud. I think I did some work with BPOS before that as well. But yeah, been, it's, it's just a long story. So been involved in the whole thing uh, right when it was just uh, JavaScript, which we used to do before that sandbox solutions as well. SharePoint framework, been involved with it since, uh, since it basically started uh, on. And uh, quite recently, I've been doing a lot of Teams development uh, so I work for Valo, Valo Intranet, and then we are working with on some Teams, uh, Teams products as well. So my kind of uh, scope has been a lot to do with Teams bots, Teams uh, tabs and messaging extensions, and also the SharePoint framework part, which uh, which is inside Teams. So been doing the whole M365 stuff for a, for a long time, and happy to be here to talk more and deep dive into it. Excellent. And so, you, as you mentioned, uh, that you, you've done a lot of different different things. I want to start with your your SharePoint background. Obviously, most of us started in the cloud on SharePoint because that's what Microsoft dragged us there using. And so, and in addition, I like to get since since you don't work at Microsoft, I love to get this outside perspective of or what kind of uh, problems are you solving by using. SharePoint development or SPFX development in the cloud. So let's just start there saying, can you give us just an example of the type of, of solutions that you're typically creating or have historically been creating? Yeah, sure. So uh, I worked uh, I worked in consulting for like almost seven or eight years and more or less uh, a lot of those projects uh, were did involve some sort of provisioning uh, so creating sites groups uh, uh, creating governance engines provisioning engines and and so on but like apart from that uh, as far as like typical line of business applications are concerned uh, we've done a lot of uh, those in spfx and sharepoint uh, as well uh, for some clients we've done like traditional lob systems like holiday booking system expenses and things like that all based in sharepoint but a, a large chunk of that has also been like intranets where sharepoint just content authoring and security and things like that uh, helps in the governance of the of the intranet and news publishing and and so on so i guess sharepoint is always used for less in my experience uh, we use sharepoint less for like publishing news and such but more for its different services it provides like taxonomy or uh, security and search uh, so leveraging those ready-made services in our solutions uh, i think that has been the main kind of driving force for me kind of sticking with sharepoint and reusing a lot of those services so that's more or less been my experience uh, as far as like the exact uh, business case and scenarios goes it's been a variety of things uh, like i mentioned it has been it has been certain like document management systems it has been holiday booking expenses uh, governance solutions uh, right now at valo we're working on an ideation solution so people kind of can employees of the organization can submit uh, submit ideas and that's that's based on Teams and uh, SharePoint as well. So more or less 
a whole range of applications uh, and then SharePoint and Office 365 services in the backend uh, graph as well. So one thing you mentioned there that caught caught my attention was the the sol- the services that SharePoint brings to the table, right? And, and I know I sound like the the old grandfather here saying yeah. back in the day that was kind of the beauty, right? We never had to write security code, we didn't have to write scheduling code, we didn't have to write database code because SharePoint handled all that for us. So do you as, as as obviously we can't write full trust code anymore in SharePoint? Do you still find the services that you need still provided by SharePoint and or Microsoft Cloud, or do you find yourself building more pieces than you did in the past? So for as far as the security goes, uh, I think SharePoint uh, uh, is still the the go-to solution in my head at least. Uh, so things like Office 365 Groups. So you can just build something on top of Office 365 Groups. All the users who are part of that group will have access to it. If someone gets removed from the group, they will lose access to it. So whatever kind of solution you build, as long as it deals with Office 365 and AD Groups, uh, you have your security trimming there. Same thing goes for Search as well. I think using SharePoint as a database is kind of in my head uh, becoming, at least for me, becoming less and less of an option. Uh, mainly recently I've been looking at like Cosmos DB and that's just, it's, it's super, super easy just storing storing JSON in Cosmos DB. And that's for applications though, for, for documents and stuff. I think SharePoint still can be pretty useful, but, but still security search. And yes, I forgot taxonomy as well. So just, using the taxonomy service is it's still i think uh quite useful in sharepoint so some services yes i think i i I reuse uh, a lot of them but for some things uh i i try to look at like for example instead of uh, timer jobs which used to have in sharepoint now it's just scheduled as your functions or uh things like that so that's kind of it's the right balance i think for security number one thing for me would be security and office 365 groups sharepoint still kind of is 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 the way for me there. Obviously, you, you, once you touch on security, you know I get I get all of my excitement bubbling over on on stuff. But can you explain or just relate to us your journey on the token acquisition? Are you using what you're given from SharePoint, or are you writing your own code or a hybrid approach? Can you just talk a little bit about your experience there? If I'm doing SharePoint framework stuff, then I'm definitely using uh, stuff which is the tokens and everything which are given to me. If I'm talking to say a graph or or maybe a third party is your service. So in SPFX, I think that's uh, pretty pretty easy with the AAD HTTP client and MS Graph uh, client. So I'm using those, but say from, even from SPFX, if you have to call into uh, an Azure function, which you have secured with Azure AD, uh, then you have to have your your Azure AD application. You need to configure that to have, ac- configure that for SharePoint framework to have access on it and, and things like that. So as far as SharePoint framework is concerned, uh, most of it is just out of the box uh, SharePoint framework authentication, but if you're outside SharePoint framework, maybe if you're building like a spa, like with like create React app, or if you're just doing like app only stuff in the backend where you're running an Azure function. Uh, so at that time, then you have options. You can uh, earlier I used to use ADAL, but recently with MSAL and app only or things have become really easy, uh, especially with uh, different scopes and stuff. So yeah, in context of SPFX, yes, 
use i use whatever is given to me by spfx but in case of uh, like back end stuff app only processes and schedules and webhooks and things like that you have basically have to build your own uh, when i say build your own as in create your own azure ad application and uh, configure that with msal and call that with msal in another area or like well, what i like to say is a rough edge between between things is is in teams now now i know the spfx will the spfx platform can be used for building tabs and now does does this security work just copy over or do i do you have to do something different to get this tokens and context inside of teams uh, for SPFX, if you are creating an SPFX web part and if you're configuring it to be used as a Teams tab, in all of your scenarios, or I would say in 99.99% of your scenarios, uh, the, the authentication would just work. I think there are some small cases where a window will pop up. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what those cases are, but there's like, uh, maybe even that is not an issue anymore. I remember this from like six or eight months ago, or uh, maybe that has been fixed, but like the, otherwise the, the authentication will just work in SPFX. And, uh, that is also one good thing is that, uh, Again, you don't have to do much. You just write your business logic, uh, whether you host that web part in SharePoint or whether you host that in Teams, even in Teams task modules. Uh, so something the the Teams task module can be brought up brought up from like any any channel or something. So you can have a pop up which is powered by SPFX uh, in Teams as well now. So that is kind of really great for me. Uh, because we use that quite a lot um, in that. So a team's task module is something that we really haven't talked a lot about on the podcast. So can we take a step back and just give us the, the introduction to what a team's task module is? Sure, sure. Uh, so like when I when I first heard of the term task module, I, I thought it's something to do with, you know, forms and entering, providing a way for the user to enter some kind of input and then submit that. So almost like a form. But then when I looked into it, it's, it's that and it's also basically showing it's it can be used only for like 100% read only purposes as well like for example just showing a message to the user you can use a task module for just showing a dialogue and saying something like your something has happened that you can do that so basically what it is is uh you're in Teams and then you're interacting with, say, a third-party service using messaging extension or even a bot. And then you want to show a pop-up message uh, without the user having to leave the context of Teams. So what you can do is you can um, you can show that, use that with task modules. Uh, I've got a couple of blog posts on that already where you do some kind of third-party uh, logic in your code. And then at the end of that, you call a task module to show that, hey, this has been done. Now, one of the examples of this is like adaptive cards and bots who post those adaptive cards. Uh, so suppose there is a bot which uh, posts a card in Teams. On that card, there's a button. That button, when you click on it, it should quickly show you uh, some, some information. And that is a great use case for uh, task modules where you are in the context of Teams and uh, you want to see uh, some information quickly without leaving uh, the page. Uh, so a dialogue. It's it's basically a, a fancy way to s show a, 
a, a dialogue or a model as you used to call uh, as we call them in like web dev speak uh, a modal dialogue but right within teams itself so that's that's kind of like the task module so so it seems like it, it it's similar to posting a message to a bot and trying to figure out what the user is referring to right so is it fair to say i'm 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 taking the good things that forms can give me along with the capabilities of posting message to the bot is that a fair summarization uh yeah i, w- I would say so you can even use uh, task modules as i said to collect information so it could be like you post a message to the bot and the response in response the bot sends you a message and says click here to enter more information and when you click there uh, a form is popped up and yeah right so all the samples around the bot framework will talk through is like you know what is your name and you have your name and then you know what are you trying yeah. to accomplish so i can i can cut short circuit that i bet yeah <laughs> which for people like me is perfect because i don't like to talk to that many people <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and then like you can see one good thing is you can see all the 10 things which it needs in one go instead of entering one thing going away and then it coming back to you and asking the second thing uh, so it, it that's one good good thing about it Okay, and so this modal or pop-up dialogue that is rendered in response to the user clicking, you're saying I can use my SPFX skills to generate the UI for that pop-up? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So uh, a, a good use case for this is, say, you want to provide uh, some sort of like cascading Teams uh, UI where you have a couple of dropdowns based on which team you select in the first dropdown. The channels should be filtered uh, in the second dropdown for that team. So to, to, to do all of this, for example, you need you basically need the need the full HTML JavaScript experience. To, to have that, you can either go and create a like a spa, a single page application, and host that inside the task module. Uh, but then, if you have to do auth, if you have to talk to the graph, uh, you have to do a, a lot of uh, authentication stuff on your own. If you do that with SPFX, it just works seamlessly. Uh, so you can have the modal pop up, and inside that, you can have your SharePoint framework web part. Uh, hosted in the task module and the authentication just works from if you're in context of a team as opposed to a chat from that task module you have access to the sharepoint site behind the scenes as well you know in the context in the in the spfx context in the team's context you have the information about the user and uh, the team and things like that so all those all that information is just handed to you and all you can you just go and write your business logic in that case and we're back to the all the services that sharepoint provides to us that we don't have to do ourselves which is which is perfect yes yeah you, you'll notice a common theme here which is like not doing much work myself but let's just letting uh, sharepoint take care of it or rather m365 take <laughs> care of it and just you you reuse those services well, I, I like to say that if i don't write the code there's no chance that i put a bug in it so <laughs> so <laughs> now this yeah. leads to a, another i like to ask uh, developers in this space the, the question so i can write a bunch of UI using SPFX and I have a, this web part or this widget or whatever. And in theory, I can run that in SharePoint. I can run it in a Teams tab. I can run it in a Teams 
task module. But I, I sometimes push back, or I often push back and say, well, just what's relevant to people in, in a, a SharePoint page is not necessarily what's relevant inside of a group or in a one-to-one -one chat. Do you find a lot of using the same components that you've built in multiple hosts like this? Or do you find yourself doing task-specific items or, or context-specific components and it's just the same tool set? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So in 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 our case, uh, we we use the task module for collecting input for the ideation tool. So I have an idea. Now I need to enter it somewhere. Now whether I am in SPF, so sorry, whether I am in SharePoint, whether I am in Teams, or whether I am in any other application, that form to collect the input is going to remain the same. So things like this, say for example, I don't know if you want to create an SPFX uh, based form to uh, enter create a service ticket for example that ui is the same no matter what what context you are in whether you are in teams or whether you are in sharepoint so in my experience for use cases like this uh it's it's really it's really helpful to have the same um same uh, components uh, being surfaced in different types. Now, obviously, there will be use cases where, depending on what the context is, you show some kind of different uh, uh, different data into the application. But so far, in my experience, I've seen that the same kind of uh, form or same kind of information can be supplied by the user in different from different applications if you do it like this. Okay, now I want to switch gears a, a little bit, and, and not all the code that we write as cloud developers is going to run in the browser and or in SharePoint. And so, if if you're doing a bot or or even just a spa, as you mentioned before, where do you usually host your applications? Uh, obviously, SharePoint has a CDN or Azure or your own on you know your own Azure subscription. What what kind of approach do you normally take when you're building the software as a service solution? Yeah, so um, as far as the SaaS bit goes, uh, software as a solution, uh, a service bit, most of the work which I've done has been in involved uh, in in like the backend part of SaaS, where one, the most important thing from an N365 or even Azure point of view is multi-tenant Azure AD apps. So creating that and then giving that backend or giving that bunch of Azure functions access to multiple tenants is what I've been involved in. So you host uh, the Azure functions, for example, in a single tenant, uh, and then you you configure those functions to be secured by an Azure AD application, and uh, then that application is configured to be multi-tenant. Uh, that application can be consented on different tenants, and that way the same Azure functions or in one tenant have access to the multiple tenants and that way you can do the SaaS part of it. I've, I've worked on a Teams app recently, which is in the store right now. Um, and that that works like that, uh, where you host everything, you host everything into one Azure subscription. And then the front end part of it is, uh, which is the Teams manifest, can go in the Teams uh organizational app catalog of every every of any tenant and then that way it can communicate with with those that tenant and this back-end services are, are you using serverless or app services or what's your preference in those in this technology space that's that's a good question so 
my first choice was always to go with Azure Functions because uh, uh, because of the because of the cost and also they were like the new thing and then I wanted to learn all about serverless. But when I was doing Teams messaging extensions with Azure Functions and and basically the bot, there were few hiccups. Like for example, if you are in the Teams context and if you click on uh, the messaging extension, which is down in your compose box in teams you need a response back in like less than five seconds and that's like a team's platform limitation so with azure function cold starts and things that wasn't always happening if the azure function was idle for a while obviously that's how serverless works now there are ways around that that you can have like a like a pinger application or you could host your azure functions on an app service plan but like that wasn't my kind of uh, uh, intention. So then I was started working with the bot framework and a lot of the examples of that are based in the app service world. So for now, as far as the Teams SaaS apps go, it's all app service. And then only when you have to do, you know, some kind of uh, polling or maybe some scheduled logic, then you can use Azure Functions as like a trigger trigger some some uh, logic and things like that so it's a combination mostly the 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 stuff which needs the five second response is all in the app service or in a web app but then you can also have azure functions running in uh, which are queue based functions or http trigger based functions which don't have that five second uh, delay thing because they don't talk to teams okay and and now i have two very very important questions the first one c sharp or node or something else. <laughs> no, I'm I'm st- I'm st- I'm firmly in the C sharp .dot net uh, camp. So my Azure functions are in the .dot net core side of things. I don't know if if people are going to hate <laughs> me for that, but uh, I, I see a lot of uh, folks doing node based stuff. Uh, but I'm still on the backend side of things. I'm still on the .dot .dot net <laughs> core side of things. And the most important tabs or spaces. <laughs> 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 I, I I will go for uh, for sp- uh, I I remember seeing something uh, before that. To be honest, I I really don't. I I just use whatever is the default. To be com- completely honest with you, uh, so yeah, I think VS Code. Yeah. I don't know if I think it has spaces as default. I don't know, maybe. But so I just use that. Uh, so I'm not kind of. Uh, I'm kind of tabs or spaces agnostic. If you, so, I don't know if that kind of I lose makes me lose my credentials. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's all fine. The, this kind of you know mimics my experience as well using using C sharp for for backend code. It just in my case, it's just what I've used and know what about. So it's all it's all great. And and so now now that we've alienated half of the developers out there with your choices, sure. <laughs> if they want to tell you how wrong you are, or at least communicate in some sense, uh, how do folks find you out on social media? Uh, yeah, so I'm fairly active on Twitter. So uh, my Twitter handle is vrdmn. Uh, maybe that's a bit hard to <laughs> remember. So I will, I will uh, maybe we can link that in the description or something. And then. Then, uh, yeah, I think I'm also active on GitHub. Uh, I have my GitHub linked on my Twitter as well. So, yeah, feel free to get in touch with me on Twitter. And, and your blog, as I peruse the table of contents on that, there's a lot of stuff that we talked about today is also put in here. So we'll certainly include a link to your blog in there so folks can read up more about the, these ideas that you have. And, sure, sure. And I really appreciate you taking the, the time today. I know it's a busy time for everyone. So thanks so much for sharing your experiences with other developers. Yeah, I enjoyed the chat quite a lot. And thanks 
thanks again for inviting me and and going uh, always enjoy chatting about all the dev stuff thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast please follow us on twitter at m365 dev podcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 